I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, bringing you another edition of the show, an edition in which we're going to be looking back on Arsenal's pre-season victory over Orlando City. The Gunners running out 3-1 winners in the end. And uh, we're going to talk about the game. We're going to talk about some of the individual performances. We're going to talk about some of Mikel Arteta's post-match comments, uh, particularly with regards to Alexander Zinchenko. There is lots and lots to get into. And I have to start off by apologising for the lack of a podcast over the last couple of days. Now, I'll explain myself because I hate missing days. I hate missing content. I hate missing shows. And, uh, and I had a few messages saying, what the hell is going on, Harry? Sort it out. So... Uh, just to kind of give you guys, not an excuse, but a reason as to why, um, obviously, I wasn't uh, I wasn't on the show. Well, Tuesday, uh, I had a really, really busy day of work. I was at TalkSport 2, followed by a trip to AFC Wimbledon uh, to watch their friendly against Reading, uh, all for work purposes, of course. And then, of course, on Wednesday, I go into the office on Wednesday. So I normally don't do a live stream on a Wednesday afternoon. But by the time I got home and I thought about it and and looked at obviously how close the Orlando friendly was it didn't make sense to go and sit down and do a podcast that would have very quickly been out of date uh, so I thought the best thing to do would be to hold off and to do one today where we could incorporate all the latest Arsenal news but also look back on that friendly and some of the takeaways from that if you haven't done so already please leave a like on the video please subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, it is very, very much appreciated. And without further ado, let's get into it. Let's look at the team that Mikel Arteta selected uh, to start the game against Orlando. And it was a little bit, um, I'm not going to say confusing, but it was obviously different to what he's done in the preseason friendly so far, where he's tended, particularly against uh, Everton, to start with, well, Nuremberg was a little bit different. I, I, you know, that wasn't part of the US tour. But on the US tour so far, we saw, obviously, the game against Everton, Mikel Arteta named an 11 that was much more like the first 11 you'd imagine and an 11 that we believe um, was obviously a lot stronger. This time he did it the other way around. There was a bit of mix and match going on in terms of, you know, the fact that there were some players in there that you'd consider as starting eleven. Outside of Ramsdale, uh, Martinelli, you know there wasn't there wasn't many, was there? So he did um, he did kind of flip it round this time. So the team that started the game for Arsenal was Ramsdale in goal. It was a back four of Cedric, Holding, Marie, and Tavares. Elneny, Maitland, Niles, and Laconga were the midfield with Pepe, Martinelli, and Enketia in attack. On the bench were Turner, Bellerin, White, Gabriel, Saliba, Walters. Partey, Xhaka, Odegaard, Nelson, Saka, Marquinhos, Jesus and Balogun. Look, the, the, the first half team was was not good enough. It wasn't anywhere near good enough. And I think that was really, really apparent. I mean, you could see that uh, very much from the off, couldn't you? I mean, if you think about it, if you think about the joy that Orlando seemed to have in behind our defence, it was kind of... It was just typical of, of that kind of defence that we had laid out. You know, Nuno Tavares positionally, there are question marks that you need to ask about him. I think we can all agree on that. 
if you think about Pablo Marie, what's the thing that stands out? If you want to be critical of him, it's probably a lack of mobility, a lack of pace. Rob Holding isn't exactly the most mobile either. And I've always said looks far, far better coming into a back five, being part of a back five, coming to sit in between the two centre-halves to help us see out a game than he does starting as part of a back four. Cedric, again, we all know Cedric's limitations too. So I wasn't surprised that the defence had a few issues in the first half of the game. And Orlando obviously identified that Arsenal was still, despite the personnel trying to play with that high line, trying to squeeze the game into uh, into Orlando's half. And so they took the opportunity to drop balls over the top, trusting in and relying on the pace in behind and hoping that they could hurt us that way. Uh, into the midfield, Elneny, Maitland-Niles, Lokonga. Apologies if you can hear kids screaming. I don't know what is going on. Um, I don't know what is going on in my house. I shouldn't have left the doors open, but I always do. Um, but anyway, going back to the midfield, I think, you know, Elneny, we know what Elneny is. We know what Elneny brings to the table. Lokonga was playing kind of more like an eight than as a six. And I'm still a little bit confused as to what Mikel Arteta sees Lokonga as. You know, is he a defensive midfield player? Is he a deep-lying midfield player? Or is he someone that he feels can be a little bit more box-to-box? -box? And I've got to be honest, based on what I've seen of Lokonga, I can't quite make my mind up just yet. There's a part of me that thinks the fact that he's, you know, quite comfortable in possession or at least has the ability to kind of fix that up, you know, means that he could potentially sit in front of the back four and be the guy that pings passes left and right, be the guy that receives the ball under pressure. And then there's part of me that thinks, actually, he's not that defensively savvy. Maybe he does need to play a little bit further up the pitch. And maybe, actually, we'd benefit more from using him as an eight. So I can't quite put my finger on what I think Lekonga's best position is. And I don't think Mikel Arteta and Arsenal have quite established that and worked that out just yet. As I said yesterday, last night, we saw him play more like an eight. Um, but even then, I wasn't totally, totally convinced. As for Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I'm just like every time, you know, we have this discussion about Ainsley Maitland-Niles and, and I've received a lot of criticism on this show in the past for saying he's not good enough for Arsenal. We should just be looking to move him on. We obviously missed out on an opportunity to get a relatively good amount of money for him from Wolves a little while back. We didn't take that opportunity. And then he's gone out on loan a couple of times now and it hasn't really worked. Neither of those loan spells have particularly uh, given me any more evidence to suggest that Maitland-Niles can make it as a midfielder at Arsenal. I just don't think he's a midfielder. You know, I, I just don't see it. I, I think that, you know, his best position is a, is a wing-back where I think he can do a, a fairly decent job. I think his best games in an Arsenal shirt have come in that wing-back position. And I always remember people pointing to last season. I think it was Watford at home relatively earlier in the season where, where Maitland-Niles played in the middle of the park and people said, oh man, he looks really, really good. Um, you know, he, he looks great. You know, he, he's finally kind of matured and he's finally got to the point where he can offer us something as a midfielder. And I, I just... You know, yeah, it was he was okay that day, but it was a one-off game against a struggling Watford side at home at Emirates Stadium. I just, I, I just can't see it. I just can't see a future for Ainsley Maitland-Niles in which he is a midfielder who can compete for a place in this team. 
And he's gone to Roma. It didn't really work out at Roma. Let's be honest. He didn't play anywhere near as much as he'd have hoped, as he'd have liked. Because I think Jose Mourinho probably realised the same thing. Actually, there's something holding Maitland-Niles back. And I don't know what it is. I think composure is something that he has in an abundance. But he just seems to switch off. He seems to lack concentration at certain moments. And I think that leads to maybe silly passes, giving the ball away frivolously in the middle of the park, which you can't do as a centre midfielder. I think at times the game can pass him by a little bit. And I just think that, it, you know, we've got to move this guy on now. It, it, he had an opportunity again last night. Look, I know it's a friendly and it's a be, it's not the be or an end all and you shouldn't really make all your decisions based on friendlies. But for players that are very much on the peripheries, and I think I tweeted something at half time um, along the lines of this. I'll, I'll just dig it out a second. But I do think when you're on the peripheries of a side, you have to take any opportunity that comes your way to prove your worth. You have to take any opportunity to show the manager, hold on, I'm here. Don't overlook me. I can play a part. And and Maitland-Niles just doesn't do that. He didn't do that at all for me in the game last night. This is what I tweeted at halftime. I said, 1-1, halftime, a lack of fluidity in our game at times and some really poor defending on display. I wasn't expecting the world from the first half based on the selection but it's slightly disappointing that none of those expected to be on the peripheries took their chance to stake a claim. And, I, and I've slept on it now and I still feel exactly the same. You know, I, I look at a number of players and, and you could, I guess, put Lekonga in that category as well. Mikel Arteta in his post-match press conference said he'd done quite well. Um, you know, he said, yeah, he'd done all right. We, you know, we looked at, we're looking at him in both positions. But really, did he believe that or was he just kind of protecting his player and trying to take the opportunity to make sure that he doesn't damage his confidence, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, neither, neither of those two, I thought, really took their chance. Pepe, another one in the starting lineup who has an opportunity, had an opportunity to try and prove himself. I don't think he was as bad as the other two mentioned. Um, I don't think he was as bad as Maitland-Niles. I don't think he was as bad as Lokonga. I thought he tried to make things happen. And I think with Nicolas Pepe, he's one of those players that, as Mikel Arteta would say, likes to try and create chaos in and around the penalty area. And I think sometimes he can just overcomplicate it a little bit. And I certainly thought in the first half he did that on a couple of occasions um, yesterday. But yeah, you know, here here we are. Um, here we are. Obviously, Martinelli was in the side as well. I don't think he'd done an awful lot wrong. Obviously, the goal, the first goal came from Martinelli's effort. It took a massive deflection to wrong foot the Orlando goalkeeper, um, et cetera, et cetera. But he was in a side in that first period that just wasn't functioning. He was in a side that just had no um, fluidity, no cohesion. And really, if we're being honest, no idea. And I think you could say the same probably for Eddie Nketiah, who obviously was much more effective in the second half when we changed the environment around him. So that was, those were my thoughts on the on the first half. The, the goal that we conceded, the goal that levelled it for Orlando, it was a brilliantly taken goal, you've got to say. It was a superb finish, low in towards the near post, caught Aaron Ramsdale out, not in the sense of it's, it's his fault or not in the sense of, you know, I want to be pointing the finger at the Arsenal goalkeeper. But I think when a player picks up the ball naturally in the position that the Orlando guy did, you, you think he's going to go towards the far post and he just got this incredible sort of power drive accuracy 
and 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 obviously dragged it back towards the near post, which I think is always difficult for a goalkeeper who probably can't see that as clearly as well. But superb finish, take nothing away from the player. Um, but you know, the way the ball went over the top, it was just too easy. It was just um, you know, it was a cheap way to concede an opportunity, let alone um concede a goal. And then, of course, there was another instance, wasn't there, in the first half where they put a ball over the top. I think it was Michelle, his name. Uh, he was put in behind very, very easily. And that time, Aaron Ramsdale stood up really, really well and made a good stop uh, to deny him. But it was worrying. I mentioned it a little bit earlier on. We we obviously have a way of playing. We obviously have an idea of how we want to do things. And that involves playing with a really, really high line. And for years and years and years, we've not been able to execute that effectively because we haven't had the right personnel defensively. I do believe with Tomiyasu, White or Saliba, Gabriel, Tierney, you know, we can play that way. We can play that line and it isn't a big problem. And that's largely because the centre-halves we have are very mobile, very good at reading the game, very powerful, very physical. And we have a goalkeeper who likes to play on the edge of his penalty area, who is always on his toes and is ready to come up and sweep anything from in behind that uh, area. So I think we've we've equipped ourselves well to do that in terms of the first team. But beyond that, we've got a serious problem with that because we just haven't got um, defenders that are, that are fit for purpose um, in, in that sense. So, yeah, I wasn't surprised that we struggled in that department. And hopefully we won't see too much of those guys in the starting 11 in the Premier League season because, you know, I'd expect Pablo Marie to leave the club between now and the end of the window. Um, I'd expect... Uh, you know, Rob Holding to be a backup. Uh, you'd hope that Cedric is that too. And of course, with Nuno Tavares, there's a lot of speculation around his future. There was talk uh, overnight or, or over yesterday about him potentially going to Brighton on loan, which I think would be a decent move for him because it will give him that Premier League experience that we need. Um, you know, it, it will give him that Premier League experience that he needs. But it also put him in a formation and in a system that works, I think, more for him. You know, playing in, in Brighton's back three as a wing back, that would be great. Um, you know, and, and he'd have that opportunity to get up and down the pitch without having as much defensive responsibility. Playing in a back four is not for Nuno, in my opinion. But we'll see. You know, we'll see. We'll, we'll let him go out on loan. I think it's the best thing to do. Um, particularly now that we've got Zinchenko in, keep an eye on how he develops, how it goes, and then that decision can be made later down the line. Uh, but yeah, then in the second half, things were a lot different. Things were a lot better. Um, we saw the introduction of a number of players. Uh, we saw, obviously, Gabriel come into the back line, which really, really helped in terms of being able to play that high line. Uh, we saw Ben White come on at right back. It was really, really good to see Ben White back in the side because, obviously, He's had a couple of injury problems uh, during this preseason tour. Wasn't involved in in the last game. Still no Tommy Asu, which was interesting. Uh, midfield, we saw Partey um, come on in the second half. We saw Xhaka. We saw Odegaard, who just injected a little bit more energy and a little bit more quality into that midfield. Saka came on later on. Jesus as well uh, came on at the break. And I thought Jesus was just infectious in the in the energy that he gives to the team. I don't expect him to be 
150 miles per hour for 90 minutes week in, week out. But you could see what he brings. You could see why Arsenal was so desperate to get him. And although it's just pre-season, the minute he was he, he entered the fray, you could see that things had just picked up a gear. And you could see that he, as Mikel Arteta likes to say, was looking to create that chaos in any opportunity that came his way. And and he combined pretty well with Eddie and Ketia, I thought, which was nice to see. And it poses the question, you know, can those two guys play together? Obviously, Jesus at the heart of the build-up to that goal that Eddie and Ketia scored. He finished it uh, really, really well. But can they play together? I, I don't think it's something that Arsenal can start games with. I don't think it's something I'd be saying, yeah, that's the way to go from the beginning or from the off. But obviously, with five substitutes nowadays um, and that rule being introduced to the Premier League, I'd be, you know, in fact, I think we'll see a lot of it. I think we'll see a lot of it, but from the bench. And I think that's been a big part in convincing Eddie and Ketia that he's going to play. I think Mikel Arteta would have told him, look, with the five substitutions, there is much more possibility that you are going to come on and play alongside Jesus, whose versatility, you know, his ability to play from the right, from the left, something that was actually criticised when Arsenal were closing in on the player. The fact that people were saying, well, I don't know if centre-forward is his right position. I actually think now that I look at it and now that I look at what Mikel Arteta seemingly has planned, actually, for me, that was a big part of why Arsenal wanted Gabriel Jesus, because not only can he play that centre-forward role incredibly well, but he can be that little bit more flexible, that little bit more versatile, can drift into other areas of the pitch and can potentially accommodate a system and a situation whereby um, Enketia and Jesus can play together. And that's not a bad option to have. So, yeah, you know, Jesus, again, having a really big impact. Enketia getting on the score sheet. Good to see him get on the score sheet. You know, I always say that goal scoring is a habit. And I always think that particularly when you're a striker on the peripheries of things, your confidence is so, so important. It's so important that you don't get knocked down all the time. It's so important that you believe in yourself, even if you are coming on for 15, 20 minutes at the end of the game, that you have that feeling within yourself that you are capable of going out there and impacting that game. It goes a hell of a long way. Um, Justin in the chat mentions the chemistry between Jesus and Odegaard. I think that's only going to get better. I think that's only going to get stronger. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how that partnership develops. You know, you've got the intelligence of Martin Odegaard, which is just incredible. And if you can um, get him and Gabriel Jesus singing from the same hymn sheet, then I think we're going to be really, really uh, improved in that area. Add to that, Fabio Vieira hasn't even come into the picture yet. Obviously trained with the team yesterday, but wasn't involved uh, in the squad. He's still someone to come into the picture as well. And when Bukayo Saka came on, uh, he obviously teed up Reese Nelson, who got a goal, uh, got Arsenal's third goal. And look, Reese Nelson, again, is one that I think will probably have to move on. I think he's one that probably doesn't have a future at Arsenal Football Club. But what I will say about Reese Nelson that I can't say about Maitland Niles, for example, is that Reese Nelson, at the very least, seems to give his all and tries to take those opportunities. And sometimes he's been, you know, good enough like at first glance in, in these friendlies and, and, you know, people are asking the question as to whether he should be kept by Arsenal. The fact that that question is being asked in itself suggests that he hasn't given a bad account of himself, but can't say that about Maitland-Niles, unfortunately. 
So those were kind of my thoughts on the game. Again, it's pre-season. You shouldn't really read too much into it, but it's interesting to just have a look at certain players. And I think for a lot of the players, the the Odegaards, the Jesuses, the, the Partes, the Whites, the Gabriels, the Ramsdales, this is about fitness. This is about getting up to speed and shaking off the rust going into the new Premier League campaign. But for the likes of Maitland-Niles, for the likes of Lukonga, for the likes of Reese Nelson... This is an opportunity to get game time that you wouldn't normally get and to stake a claim for a place in the 11, in the squad, in Mikel Arteta's plans. And I just look at those players on the edge of things and I'm not sure that they are are doing enough to, to kind of make Mikel Arteta think twice. You know, in his press conference post-match, um, you know, he, he was asked if... There was more to come in terms of transfers in. Arsenal, of course, continued to be linked with a number of players. But Mikel Arteta was very quick to say, look, we need to move people on. Um, not in as many words, but I, obviously I'm paraphrasing. But he basically said that we need to move people on. And that's a process that is going to start very, very soon. Kind of a hint to me that look, Arsenal have done a fair bit of business up until now. But in order to go that extra mile, in order to continue that, we are going to have to move people on. And we are going to have to start reducing the number of players in the squad in order to accommodate the arrival of others. I think it will happen. I think there's an understanding and there's a acceptance within the Arsenal camp that although we might have to say goodbye to players for fees that we just deem well below their market value, we're going to have to do it in order to keep moving forward. And I've said it before, we are paying for previous mistakes. And this is where you have to back or support, or at least give fair praise to the owners for actually saying, yeah, well, you know what? We know that this is a problem from the past. We know that this thing needs gutting. And we know that we're going to have to swallow some losses along the way in order to get back to that position. So, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I expect players to leave. I've said to you guys throughout the transfer window that a lot of the players we're potentially moving on, um, you know, are are players that people are probably going to move for at the back end of the window because they're players that people will feel they can get on the cheap and they're players that people will feel are much more attainable and, and will be much cheaper the longer the window goes on and the more desperate Arsenal become in the end to move them on. So, yeah, you know, it, it was always going to be the case. Let's hope we can move some of them on quickly and we can continue to do some business before the window slams shut. Um, just some other points from Mikel Arteta's press conference. Um, he was asked, obviously, about Alexander Zinchenko, who was seen in the stadium sitting alongside Edu. And that came after pictures of Zinchenko turning up to meet the Arsenal squad or to be with the Arsenal squad in Arsenal training gear, etc., etc. Great to have him. It's done. You know, there's Mikel Arteta said there was a few formalities that needed completing before the deal would be completely done. But he wouldn't have been talking about it in the way he was if there was any fear that this deal was going to collapse. So Zinchenko very much is, at the moment, um, an Arsenal player, which is great. Um, he was asked the question, Mikel Arteta, where will he play? You know, what that's been the big question with Zinchenko. What's he coming in to do? Is he coming in to be a left-back? Is he coming in to be a midfielder? And Mikel Arteta spoke about how important the player's versatility was, which backs up what we've been saying throughout the window that, Arsenal are very much looking for a player that could tick multiple boxes. They found one in Lissandro Martinez. Unfortunately, couldn't get that deal done. Manchester United came in. Uh, the appeal of working for Eric Ten Hag was said to be keen that. But also, Arsenal 
weren't willing to meet the financial demands of Ajax and instead turned their attention to Alexander Zinchenko, who Arteta says can play both left back, centre midfield. He also talked about him earlier on in his career, um, you know, being a number 10. And I'm not saying or suggesting that he's going to play as a number 10 regularly for Arsenal, but it was I think that was a point made by Mikel Arteta to re-emphasize the versatility point, which I think is obviously really, really important. Uh, he was asked about a couple of other bits and pieces on whether Eddie and Gabriel Jesus can play up front together. Again, I'll go back to what I said earlier on. I don't think it's something that you start games with. Um, I, I think, you know, if you've got a player missing and you want to start Jesus from one of the flanks, OK, let's do it. But I don't think it's the go-to. Um, I think it's very much something that provides us with an in-game option as opposed to a pre-game option. So, yeah, that's that's my view on it. Um, Mikel didn't really sort of bite at that question too much. He said, we want to build those relationships and, and kind of wouldn't be drawn on how frequent that might be, um, the prospect that is of those two playing together. He was also asked what his target is for next season. And there was a lot of uproar at the start of, of the campaign just gone when Edu refused to outline the club's internal target. And I think that Arsenal are doing the right thing here. Surprise, surprise. And here's why. Because, you know, you can set a definitive target in football, right? You can say we have to finish in the top four because we need to get back in the Champions League. And that is a, as Mikel Arteta would put it, a non-negotiable. Has to be achieved 100%. And you could find yourself in a situation where you've done lots and lots of brilliant work throughout the duration of the campaign, but one thing outside of your control can deny you that. Now, the reason I use the Champions League thing as a um, as an example is this. You could qualify for the Champions League, which would be the overall goal you'd, you'd imagine, by winning the Europa League. You could finish 12th in the Premier League and still do it. But then have you actually shown progress? Have you actually shown that you've improved as a team if you had a bit of fortune along the way on a cup run, got over the line there, but then completely cocked it up in the league? I would say no. So then you see the you see the issue with always having a very black and white target and never being open to shifting that one way or the other. Equally, Arsenal could finish fifth in the Premier League, lose out on top four by goal difference, not win the Europa League. And I would say that although we'd have failed then to meet our target, our objective, which was getting the Champions League, we'd have shown that we've managed to remain consistent and we've managed to remain in that group of teams hunting for the Champions League place. I would say that would be a bigger indicator of the quality of this side rather than a cup run. But the cup run could get me back in the Champions League. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? If you set definitive targets and you should have targets in mind, but you can't be like Champions League is a, is a success and anything else is not because you could finish, as I say, 12th in the Premier League win the Europa League and has your team actually shown improvement? I don't know. So I think that the club are right to keep these things internal. I think that the club are right to keep these things under wraps. They'd only be fueling the media and they'd only be fueling the criticism that at times comes unfairly their way 
by being so specific, they don't need to be specific about anything really. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's their prerogative. And we as fans sometimes need to understand that you have to judge as Tezzy May says in the chat, the bigger picture. And I think that's really, really important. You, when we were looking at the progress last season and when we were having that debate around was their progress, obviously one of the big factors in me coming to the conclusion that there was, was the fact that Arsenal had, had been in the race for Champions League qualification right up until the last day of the season. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't the league position alone. It was the development of a style of play. The fact that we were much more consistent in delivering that. The fact that, you know, we'd moved on some bad apples and we'd got to a point where we were, um, you know, we were blooding through some players who will very much be the future of the club going forward. The the feeling and the vibe you get when being around the club that had been missing for a number of years, in my opinion, it was a big picture. You know, the whole picture is what determines whether Arsenal were moving forward or not. And I looked at the bigger picture as opposed to just the league finish. The league finish is one of the big factors for sure. But yeah, um, you know, I think that the bigger picture is is the most important thing here. And, and sometimes we get lost in the details a little bit. and um, And while they should be used to help determine your kind of conclusion, you have to take everything into account to have the most accurate and fairest conclusion, I would argue. Okay, uh, let's take some of your thoughts and some of your questions from the live chat box. Uh, before we do that, actually, while you're filling up the chat box with your questions, please go for it. Uh, pop a cue at the beginning of them. It just makes it much, much easier for me to pick them out of the chat. I have to say, um, you know, I've always emphasized and stressed on this podcast that I've got incredible respect for Arsenal fans overseas that wake up at ungodly hours to watch their team play on a regular basis and still manage to get on with their everyday life, go to work, et cetera, et cetera, take the kids to school, whatever it might be. Um, you know, I, I've got to say, I've got to say fair play to you guys because last night was tough for me. It was really tough. I'd had a really busy week up until yesterday. I was much more tired than usual, granted. Um, but I, I really did struggle. I really, really did struggle. I mean, the game between Arsenal and Everton, which was last, for in our time, it was midnight last Saturday night. So it was Sunday morning, um, technically, but it was sort of really late Saturday. I had been working all day. I'd been out, um, you know, after work. And then I'd come home and sat down and watched it. And I was kind of like, yeah, I'm tired, but I can get through this. It's a Saturday night. You know, I can stay up till half one, two o'clock in the morning. You know, I can do it. No problem. Yesterday, though, it was initially going to be a our time, 12.30, so midnight kickoff here in the UK. And that was going to be tough. I knew that was going to be tough because of the day I'd had, because of what I had planned today, because of all the stuff going on, I knew that it was going to be really, really difficult for me to stay up and stay completely 100% focused on the game. And then the kickoff got delayed. And I just thought to myself, oh my God. The kickoff basically got delayed to 1.30 a.m. UK time. And actually, Arsenal's Twitter account said that it was kicking off at 1.45. And luckily, I'd logged on about 20 minutes before and just let the stream play. 
on my TV. And if I didn't do that, I'd have missed the very beginning of the game because they got it wrong uh, on their post, which was a little bit annoying. Uh, but anyway, sat down, watched the game. When I saw the starting lineup for the first half, I thought, oh, please, please. Why couldn't you do it the other way around? Why couldn't I have watched the first half with all the players that I really wanted to see? And then the second half um, with the kind of players that I wasn't, not in a horrible way, too fussed about watching. But it wasn't to be. I managed to do it in the end. I have to say a big thanks uh, to Wandering Minstrel. Um, I know I didn't reply towards the end of the game because I was in a bit of a daze, but uh, Wandering Minstrel was um, was keeping me uh, awake with with uh, sort of messaging back and forth about the game. So thank you, mate. Um, yeah, you played a big part in keeping me awake for that one, I have to say. But I've got immense respect for those of you that do that every single week because it's tough. And it's messed me up today in big time. <laughs> Anyway, uh, cool. Um, Raviel Burton said uh, they didn't get it wrong. The rain had cooled off earlier than expected. Fine. But then you've tweeted that the game is starting at UK time, 1.45 a.m. But then you've not updated it to say at any point, oh, actually, the rain's gone off. They're going to they're going to do it earlier. So actually, if you'd only seen that tweet and you'd been refreshing, looking for an update, you wouldn't have got an update. And so you well, would have thought that it was still 1.45 UK time and you would have missed the first 15 minutes. OK, let's go over to uh, the live uh, chat and see what you guys are saying. Bruce Banana says, do you think we'll bring in Tielemans? I've seen reports that say we'll need to sell first. I think based on what Mikel Arteta had to say in his post-match press conference, there is a, a belief now, a need within the club to start thinking about outgoings as well. I think that we were a little, I was a little bit worried going into this window that we'd be hamstrung by a few of the outgoings, but I wasn't so concerned about it because I think we did a lot of work last summer and in January to make sure that we could go into this window and start doing business with regards to incomings from the very off. And we've done that. Like, what have we brought in? Five players? You know, Saliba coming into the squad as well, include that six. We, we've we done the majority of our business already. Um, and I do think that. But I do think a deal like Tielemans is one that Arsenal have always been incredibly confident of being able to do later on in the window. For what reason? I don't exactly know. Some have suggested that Yuri Tielemans only wants Arsenal. And therefore, you know, it's it's going to be easier to get that done, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the only Arsenal at this point are willing to meet what Leicester are looking for in terms of a fee. So I'm not going to rule out the idea of Yuri Tielemans coming in, but I do think you're right when you say we probably need to sell first in order to get that done and, and whether we'll be able to do that in time. Again, I don't even think it's about the transfer fee. I don't think it's about... You know, let's say, for argument's sake, Yuri Tielemans is is going to cost twenty five million pounds. I don't think it's necessarily about going and bringing in twenty five million pounds in terms of fees for outgoing players. I think the fee is something that Arsenal can make happen. I think it's about the wage bill. I think it's about taking certain commitments like the salaries of Bayerin, Torreira, Leno, for example, off of the wage bill as much as it is about raising money. So if we sold Leno, let's say. And we got eight million. If we sold Bellerin for five million, if we sold Torreira for five million, and, and we still weren't at the twenty-five million pound that we need for Tielemans, I don't think that would stop Arsenal doing it. As I say, I think it's about the commitments and the longer term. It's about the salary. It's about the wages. 
It's about the weekly outgoing that we are currently responsible for that just simply make no sense at the moment because they're for players we won't be using. So again, I don't think the fee is the problem. I think it will be about just kind of reducing some of our commitments um, in terms of salaries and stuff. Uh, Dave Atkinson says, Harry, I think we need a big striker. What do you think? I think we could do with one in the future. I think it would be nice to have that alternative option. Um, but I always say this, you need to build your team first and then you start adding depth and alternative options to it. I don't think you can skip ahead to that point. I don't think we've had a focal point main striker um, since Aubameyang's form completely went off the, the cliff that was ever someone we could look at and say was going to be the guy leading the line for the next couple of years or whatever, um, or for the next three, four years, in fact. So, I, I'm, you know, I do think that, that that would be nice in the future, but I don't think it's something that you're going to see this summer. It could be something that we do further down the line. Uh, Alex says, if Arsenal's last business of the window is a right winger and a centre midfield, will you be worrying about our fullback cover until the January window? Um, not really. Um, not really. I, I think at right back in particular, the fact that we've got Saliba in now means that we can use Ben White as a fullback much more if we need to. And I think when you think about the role that Mikel Arteta clearly asks his fullback to play, the fact that he went for Tommy Asu because of a very specific profile, the fact that he can tuck in as part of the central defence um, when we're in possession and then free up the left back to go on um, up the pitch on the other side, I think gives me less concern about the, the fullback positions. I do think that centre midfield is the number one for me. That's I, I'm still always worried about what's going to happen in the event that Thomas Partey is unavailable. People say on oh, Nenny, don't think so. Xhaka in that position, I don't think so either. Mikel Arteta might think that, but in my opinion, that's not the way to go. So that's, for me, the number one. If we can only get one more signing in the door, I'd rather it was that. A winger would be great as well. But I'm obviously uh, mindful of the fact that we we still haven't moved an awful lot on. And um, and that's going to be a problem. What else have we got? Uh, going to pick out a few more. Uh, uh, Jay Sayers uh, makes a good point because Mikel Arteta did say this. He said that we're slightly short in the number eight position. Uh, so hopefully once we get rid of the deadwood, we can buy one. But he did reference the fact that that was largely because of Emil Smith-Rowe and, and Fabio Vieira being unavailable, which suggests that maybe Fabio Vieira is being seen as a number eight. We'll have to see when he gets into the side. Let's see what else we've got. Uh, Nicomo says, are you worried about Barcelona's alleged attempt to get Saliba? I think you've always got to be a little bit wary of Barcelona because they're the only club in the world that seems to be able to buy players with no money, um, which is incredible. Uh, but no, I, at this stage, I think Saliba's OK. I think he's happy. I think he'll be here for at least this season. Um, I think if he sees that he plays a big part, then by January, we could hopefully time down to a new contract and, and start building for the future very much with him. Uh, Tezzy May says, do you think if Zinchenko replaces Xhaka in the midfield, we get the added bonus of having less of the biased referee calls that Xhaka seems to attract? Yeah, you'd hope so. I think reputation does follow a player around. And I think Mikel Arteta, um, you know, has uh, has put a lot of trust and a lot of faith in Granite Xhaka, but it's impossible to deny that he does have those moments in him. And maybe... The majority of them are in the past, but, um, 
you know, the, the, the reality is that that is always going to follow him around. I know when I talk to fans of other clubs that they have that preconception of Granit Xhaka, who gave a fantastic interview, by the way, to ESPN. Uh, if you want to check that out, have a look at it. Uh, really, really good interview, I thought. Um, but it, it is something that, that follows him around, obviously. And, um, and it's a problem, can be a problem. Right, going to take one or two more um, before I jump off. Uh, Deflected Mind says, can United finish above us this season considering how good of a coach Ten Hag is? I think United could finish above us this season. I think they've got a, a squad full of very, very talented players and I think they're going to add further to that. You know, will they get Frankie de Jong? Probably. Um, although it's dragging out, I think they will obviously end up continuing to push for that. And I think they probably will at some point get that over the line. Um, you know, I, I, they can finish above us. Of course they can finish above us. And Ten Hag is a very good coach, but a bit like Arsenal, it is going to take time for him to nail down every single detail. Like, and, and you know, we're two and a half years, two and a half seasons into our process, if you like, and we're still not completely there yet. Um, so, you know, you've got to be realistic and the fact that a club of United's size and United's might and United's power and United's financial ability is in a worse position than us or finished in a worse position than us last season shows that, you know, we can't always, uh, take these things, uh, for granted, you know, that we, we're almost deserving of, of being in those positions. Um, Jid 32 says, Harry's starting to read less and less comments these days. Absolutely not, mate. What's happening is there's more and more people watching the streams, which means there's more and more comments for me to miss as the chat box updates when I'm speaking. Um, I promise you, I'm not actively looking to read less comments out. And, um, and in another show where we're not talking as in depth about a particular fixture, then obviously we'll, um, we'll spend more time on the comments, but it's not, it's not on purpose. They just update really quickly and, and sometimes I miss them. And if I keep pausing to go back, then, you know, the flow of the podcast would be severely disrupted. Um, look, we're going to leave it there, though, for this one. Uh, we'll be back later on with a bit more Arsenal content. Uh, really, really looking forward to getting back on into the swing of things. As I say, a couple of days off the radar, not for any other reason other than I was just really crazy swamped with work. And when I sat down to think about what I would do yesterday, I thought, well, the game's coming up tonight. So anything I do is very quickly going to be out of date and perhaps not entirely relevant. So yeah, we're back on it from today. Uh, don't forget to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. There's over 600 of you watching right now across the multiple platforms, but just 104 likes on the board. So please do hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Please do subscribe to the channel if you're new and we'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.